Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Welcome, welcome. We're back with another episode of Talking CFD, the show that's more about growing a business than growing a boundary layer. For me, this podcast is all about learning something new. And this is the second episode of this season where I'm learning something new about how upcoming computing architectures are shaping the CFD codes of the future. I'm talking specifically about GPUs and new massively parallel systems that are testing, sometimes to breaking point, the scalability of some legacy codes. And even if they do scale, are those codes really making the best use of what these new architectures have to offer? But on the flip side, what use is a fancy new CFD code if I personally don't have access to any of these new massively parallel architectures? Well, today's guests are busy working on both sides of that problem. I'm talking with three of the brains behind a UK-based company called Xenotech. You'll hear from two of the founders, David Standingford and Jamil Apper, and one of their technical leads, Mike Turner. We'll talk about their CFD code, ZCFD, and also their on-demand HPC offering called Epic. But I'll let David kick us off with a little background about the company. Yeah, so I guess uh, Xenotech is a uh, is a startup high tech company. Uh, we're all largely out of uh, the aerospace sector, but we decided to set up on our own to, I guess, make available the kind of technologies that we've been working on for aerospace uh, more widely available. So computational fluid dynamics or CFD. Uh, was, a, I guess, an obvious place to start. Um, I guess for many years, it was the province of only very large companies or research institutes could actually afford to do the kind of fidelity of simulation that, that aerospace has become used to. But with some fairly dramatic changes that were going on, particularly the availability of very powerful uh, many-core chips um, and sort of parallel architectures uh, and uh, the commoditization of computing via cloud resourcing, uh, it actually means that uh, most people now actually uh, can access the kind of capability that really only a few years ago uh, would have been unaffordable. So I guess we were trying to help deliver that um, in as broad a way as possible, I guess leveraging the other kind of technology that you can access via the cloud, the interoperability of services, um, and deliver, I guess, a paradigm shift really uh, in, in modeling and simulation. Uh, so that, I suppose, is the motivation. So we've been at it now. I guess we're our sixth birthday is coming up soon. Happy birthday. Sixth, thank you, yes. Um, and we've got, uh, I guess, two live products. They're both commercially available um, and in use across sectors. So we've broadened out from aerospace now to look at civil, uh, automotive and renewables as well. So it was kind of a case that you'd seen what was going on within aerospace that perhaps wasn't visible to to other customers from from other areas, and you'd thought, well, there's a there's scope here to push this out into into other industries. Is that right? Exactly. So yeah, that's right. Um, and I guess all those industries had developed their own capabilities as well, but uh, you know perhaps not with the budgets that had allowed aerospace to I guess really push the high fidelity work. So uh, I mean, our strapline simulation unlimited, I guess, tries to reflect that. Uh, the idea that the uh, yeah the the sort of scale you you need to run at to to deliver a high fidelity simulation is now generally available. So this was the start of a kind of perfect storm of the availability of of hardware coupled with um, a more an increased awareness of CFD. I guess within industry, many more people becoming aware of what it could do for them and not being able to take advantage of it. Um, why? develop a, a new code you mentioned briefly there at the start that you've got the two offerings one being epic uh, an hpc offering and the other being um, zcfd a, a cfd code 
which one of those came first? Oh, yeah. So I think the intention was always to try to bring, uh, well, to create a CFD code from the ground up, really, that was able to scale uh, using the Manicore hardware and, I guess, the new kind of parallelization that you can get um, scales all the way up from from the, from the chips to the um, to the clusters and then ultimately the cloud. Um, so that was the starting point. But I suppose the, the other part of that is bringing that to market um, for people who don't already own large computers and I guess particularly for the smaller companies or organizations where workload is uneven um, throughout the year. Uh, the business case for investing in a large machine uh, isn't really there. It's hard to make, make makes the, uh, I guess, the effectively the core hour cost of it too expensive when you do use it. So by making an on-demand service, which really when we were starting out was was pretty uh, pretty novel. I think the world has has developed an understanding much more over the last few years about what on-demand in the high-performance computing world should be. But uh, but really, when we were starting out, a lot of organizations were, were very hesitant to even think about it. It's kind of scary how fast some of these things change, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think what was interesting is when we started to hear back the kind of messages that we were pushing maybe five or six years ago, uh, probably three or four years ago, people started saying, actually, we need to uh, adopt a cloud strategy, and then that that started getting into the popular the sort of popular communications, the popular conversations. That's particularly interesting to me that whether people fully appreciate. I mean, they can intellectualise the advantages of a, a cloud strategy, but um, maybe they might have to do things slightly different to how they've been doing for years on premise um, to really take advantage of it. Yeah, exactly. So there's all sorts of business processes that have to go along with with adoption. Um, one, of course, is that once you've bought a big computer, even if it was a pretty expensive one, you've now got a capital asset which can be depreciated. Um, when you're uh, accessing a cloud service, you've got an operational expenditure, which is, I argue, a lot lower, um, but it comes from a different budget. So you've got businesses have to adjust. Um, so expecting them all to do that at the pace at which the technical staff are recommending a change in direction is, uh, you know, is I guess what, what where the interesting part has been in trying to well, actually actually the interesting part has been watching the organisations that do do that and uh, and the ones that want to and are sort of getting there step by step. Yeah, baby steps. Uh, bringing it back around to ZCFD because I don't want to kind of leave that behind. I want to go back and and dig into that a little bit more. Um, I wonder what the the motivation was behind a clean sheet CFD code as opposed to maybe taking something that already existed and and developing around that. Was it the the hardware that drove that decision? Sounds like one for Jamil to me. Yeah, I suppose it is. It is the the change in hardware. So back, uh, so winding the clock back. So back in the early two thousands, the the early noughties, um, there was a sort of a fundamental change in underlying hardware. So where the technology was moving from from single core uh, technology to to many cores. So we're having more cores on a on a, on a single piece of silicon, which was which was changing the uh, the the way code scale. So prior to that, year on year. Mr. Intel would release a new chip, which would run at a higher clock frequency, maybe with a few microcode architecture changes. But we would see your code would just take your old code, recompile it. Hey, presto, it runs faster. Um, that change in the early 2000s sort of was, was the writing on the wall, really, that that wasn't going to happen anymore. Um, they'd reached uh, some fundamental limits from the silicon point of view which would prevent that from from going forward so essentially they've they've, they've moved to, to, a, to a paradigm where they're just adding more cores to a single to a, to a single piece of silicon so parallelism was is going to be key in terms of exploiting the performance of, of that new technology 
And also at the same time, in this was 2005, uh, the likes of NVIDIA were opening up their GPU architecture to, um, to programmers to allow them to do physics for games. Um, and that made the uh, they were they were moving to an archi- to, a, to an architecture which was uh, a lot more programmable. But prior to that date, you were having if you really wanted to do any sort of mathematical compute on a, on a GPU, it was uh, it was quite complex, let's say the least. Um, but that opened up in two thousand and six. So so there was a fundamental change in, uh, in 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 that world, and that really drove you to having to have a totally fundamental change in the way we approach the solving of, of these equations uh, to leverage that, uh, that technology change. And really, you can't, you can't do that starting with a, with, with a code base, which, is, which was done prior, which was sort of architected prior to that date, because it's, a, it's such a fundamentally different approach. Um, to, to parallelism that you need uh, to, to leverage that, those kind of architectures. And is it a similar approach to be to take best advantage of the kind of many, many cores that you get on modern GPUs as it would be to take advantage of the, the many cores, but obviously lesser that you find on a, a modern CPU chip? It's, it's, it's similar, um, but like everything, you, 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 to get the 100%, to get the best out of any given architecture, you'll end up having to write stuff which is very, very hardware-specific. Um, so everything ends up being a compromise. But the, the fundamental approach that we've taken um, allows us to write the code once um, and expose the parallelism uh, as, uh, as much as the parallelism as we can from the way the algorithms are solved and the numerical techniques are, are, are approached these uh, currently. Um, and then that's presented to the, to the underlying hardware. But yeah, essentially, you can imagine a, a, a GPU um, which is execu- executes uh, millions, uh, if not billions, of threads, um, and that's pretty much the way we uh, we presented the GPU, um, and the way the GPU actually executes it. Interesting enough, there's there's no order to the way it executes those threads, so it will just do them in in, in which any order. Um, obviously, the CPU doesn't have that kind of concurrency in terms of thread execution, um, but the uh, the per thread performance is much much higher on on the on the CPU, so. It, it sort of all, all comes out in, in in the wash, but yeah. So to give you a, a typical type of uh, typical type of application, let's say um, from NASA's drag prediction workshop, uh, which is a, a common a sort of a common test case, sort of 150 million cells. You're looking at on a on a GPU cluster. You've got you've got over a billion threads in flight at any one time. So you've got a billion threads executing on that cluster um, in, in in whichever order. Um, Essentially, it's the it's the same on on the CPU, but again, the the, the uh, on a CPU cluster, but the level of concurrency in terms of exe- thread execution is is much less. But yeah, fundamentally, the, uh, the the approach that we take, at least, to allow us to execute on 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 mixes mixtures of these types of platforms, um, it's uh, it's it's the same. So, is it possible to run on GPUs alone? Or do we always need a, a CPU in the background doing some management or something? Yeah, the the, the way that the GPUs, uh, the kind of code that the GPUs allow you to execute today, you you do need a, a CPU of some form. It, obviously, it can be an ARM CPU because it's actually really not doing any heavy lifting. It's really just tasking the GPU to do to 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 undertake some work. And I suppose the only one, the one which is missing at the moment, um, is when it comes to sort of I/O and and uh, and talking at least to the file system. Um, that really has to go through a CPU as it stands. Latest technologies from the like from from Intel using NVLink allows the GPUs to talk to each other directly, 
Um, so in terms of running a parallel process over multiple GPUs, um, that's getting getting to the point of being solved. But yeah, for 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 today, using today's technology, you still need a, a CPU. The the, uh, the the thought in the industry is that's probably going to get that requirement on having a, a CPU or the number of CPUs required to manage a GPU cluster is going to get less and less over time as the new capabilities get added to the GPU platforms. Um, obviously, driven by the likes of what's happening in the in the world of AI and machine learning, um, and even the world of Bitcoin mining as well, which is sort of driving the technology uh, a lot at the moment. So are we kind of riding along on the coattails of, of those industries? In some sense, we always have. And, and if, you, if you look at how in, uh, NVIDIA, at least the GPU world, actually make their money, they don't make their money from um, HPC, from doing compute on GPUs. It's, it's all computer games. Um, and that's that's what's really allowing us. It's the scale of the computer gaming market, which is allowing us to have access to these amazing devices at the price point that we do. Um, it's 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 really we're riding on the coattails of the gaming industry as as as, uh, as much as anything. Um, and you need to remember that the GPUs um, that we use to to do compute on pretty much all of Nvidia's GPUs today, uh, all the way from the ones that are embedded on, on, a, on a Tesla car, all the way through to uh, the most expensive ones sat in the biggest supercomputers in the world, um, they can all execute the uh, sort of computations on them. Um, so there's, there's no restriction. This is, a, this is a fundamental capability that NVIDIA has got within all its GPUs. And to be honest, it's the same with, with, the, likes of, uh, with the likes of AMD, as well, it's, it's the fundamental ability that they've got now is to, to allow them to do that kind of compute. So that's been the direction of the travel for, for recent years. Is, is that set? Is that where we continue? Are we continuing down that line? Do we expect to see more CFD taking advantage of GPUs? <laughs> it's, I think one of the challenges we have in the world, in the world of CFD, actually, we're, I suppose in the world of sort of computational engineering in general and, and CFD is part of that world, um, it's 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 this it's, it's quite a big boat to try and shift direction on, um, and there's been this this it, it takes obviously it takes quite a bit of effort to to rewrite these codes. And as I said, we you you pretty much have to start with a blank sheet if you really want to um, get the best out of these architectures. Um, the the industry has got to scale now, at least in terms of the large uh, commercial vendors. It's going to take them a while to sort of change direction and allow that to happen. So it's going to be, it's, it's going to be in sort of several generations time before the, uh, the industry truly shifts. But ultimately, the world, whether it is from NVIDIA or, Int or, or sort of conventional CPUs is going towards a many core world. So the, the, uh, the, the sort of the chips with, with, with more cores or the numbers of cores per chips on, on each chip, whether it's NVIDIA or it's AMD or it's Intel. Is going up over time, and the only real way of leveraging that kind of performance is is to parallelize, and and to do that requires some fundamental changes. And interestingly enough, it also requires some thinking on the numerical side as well, because most of the the, the most favoured numerical algorithms that we use today to solve the Navier-Stokes equations fundamentally just don't parallelize very well. So there's there's probably some other paradigm shifts in in the world of uh, in the world of computational engineering of of coming up with new numerical schemes which better fit where the technology is going as well. So I can see how a lot of what you've talked about so far is kind of under the hood and tucked away from from users and things like that. You just sort of edging into the different schemes and things that that users might be exposed to. Would a a user feel at home? 
coming from say a, a, an existing legacy um, CFD code to, to ZCFD? Fundamentally, we've 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 written it to be uh, as as minimally intrusive as possible. The, the idea being is we understand we obviously understand the industry quite well. Is there's lots of people already spent. Uh, many thousands of pounds, if not tens of thousands of pounds training to use uh, various commercial packages or even open source packages. Um, so there's, 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 there's a lot of, there's a lot of legacy there in terms of training that we to try and sort of bring something new to market would actually be quite hard to sort of to, to displace. So we've, we've fundamentally engineered it to, to be as, as, as invisible as possible, uh, a, a process that allows you to inject in. So if today, um, let's say you're using open foam, um, and you're more than happy with your, your, uh, your mesh generation pipelines, so you're, you're, you're either using snappy or you're using a commercial tool to generate the inputs for, for open foam. We can effectively just slot in, take those inputs, um, and run with them without any, any sort of any changes at all, actually, from the, from the user perspective. Um, and fundamentally, the other point, I suppose, to, to make is that the, the, the front end of the code um, is, all of, is, is all open source. It's written in Python. And this is really, I suppose, on the basis that actually most CFD codes aren't sort of just run standalone. They're part of a process. Um, and more complex processes tend to be scripted, uh, tend to be moving files and moving data from one location to the other, Computing maybe a, a range of different conditions, and then uh, plotting all of that data out, or, or extracting the information that's that's required out of those those results. Um, by being by having a Python front end, that's fully programmable. So the uh, the users can uh, can integrate that into their existing processes uh, very simply. So in some sense, the user actually doesn't have to see ZCFD at all. It can be just part of their their, their engineering design pipeline as is. Uh, and fully integrated in um, all the way through to yeah writing data out into specific formats, uh, pulling data from specific locations. Python being such a such a flexible language with a with a huge toolbox behind it uh, allows that to happen. I wanted to just circle back quickly, just to touch on something that you mentioned a couple of times about this kind of being a, a clean sheet imp- implementation. Do you think? This change in direction of the the underlying hardware is going to cause problems for legacy codes. Like you're saying, it's not easy to kind of port some of these legacy systems over to to the new hardware. I suppose over over time, yes. Um, The pain to start off with is something that Mm -hmm. most businesses will probably just put up with. Um, the, uh, the, the cost penalty isn't, isn't, isn't too, isn't too great, but it's going to, there's, there's going to be a switch point where you're investing in, Lots of computing, really, just to stand still. You don't, you're not going to really get a competitive advantage by spending more when you refresh your system. Um, your your application is going to run at at the same speed, but you're going to have to spend more to keep it going at that kind of at that kind of speed. So the throughput of your engineering simulations are going to stay the same, but you're going to have to spend more to uh, to spend that. The the other side of it, 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 this is sort of my having sort of been been in this industry sort of around in the for over twenty years now. Is I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of CFD codes which are have been around for a, for a long time, and fundamentally these these types of, sort of complex numerical codes really do benefit from effectively being rewritten um, uh, with on a, on a fairly regular basis. Not only just to leverage the, the, the performance that's there in, in sort of underlying sort of c- compute hardware, but if anything, just to keep 
the uh, the developer community aware of actually what's inside it. There's 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 a lot of codes out there which are used within industry, in-house codes which are used within industry. They use as black boxes, and there's nobody left in those businesses that that understands actually what's inside that black box anymore. And, and in my view, that's 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 a big risk that businesses are taking in. Uh, in, in operating in that way, so actually having the uh, investing in rewriting these bits of software on a, on, a, on a regular basis is, is is a good thing from a performance point of view, but actually a good thing from a from a knowledge and business point of view as well. That's really yeah, really interesting. It seems to be a, a definite opportunity for some market disruption there. Well, we, we're, we're hoping so, and I think one of the things um, uh, sort of uh, at Market Street, we're not we're not trying to be as sort of all encompassing as something like Ansys, or even to be honest, in terms of Open Foam, the the number of different areas that they that they cover. Um, the idea being is to be good at a at a, at a at a small set of areas and and bring the best algorithms, whether that's best turbulence models or even from a from a performance point of view tune, tuning the, the code to work on a, at, a, at a particular sweet sweet spot um that's where we play and that's where we, we we'll make a difference and especially um given the uh the the availability of the, the cloud and, and gpus the the special sweet point ends up being actually if you want to leverage these things at scale um then um there's this that's where we uh that's that's where we sit it's as though I had telepathically sent that segue to you because, yes, I want to move it on to uh, to Epic and to talk about how you guys are helping people take advantage of this this kind of new software. If I don't have the hardware to take advantage of this software that you're producing, how, where are you guys in terms of helping me out with that? Yeah, sure. So um, that's kind of exactly the situation we were in when we started developing ZCFD. Um, so obviously to develop the code and test the code, we need access to quite a lot of hardware and, and computing resources. So we started, uh, I guess, two two things. We started using um, some of the cloud providers, so running up nodes in Amazon or, or Azure, um, and also using other people's computers. So um, quite a lot of the uh, academic supercomputers, at least in the UK, they have a kind of pay-on-demand type model. So we started accessing some of these and um, running our cases on them. And that worked quite well for us. And we started building up tools to make that easier for us. Um, and this kind of developed and we, we kind of saw, saw that this is probably a, a problem that other companies of our size have. Uh, and that kind of evolved into the Epic platform. Uh, and eventually we decided to offer it as a, as a separate product to ZCFD. Um, so Epic itself acts as a gateway to that kind of variety of resource. So the idea is you, you want to run your application Epic will tell you where you can run it, how much it will cost, and when will it run. So we're not just talking about the ability to run your codes. We can, you can run other things on Epic? Yeah, we've tried to make it as, as general as possible. So we, we kind of wrap the applications up uh, and present them through at the moment for a web portal, and it's accessible via, via an API as well. But we, we wrap the applications because we make sure that they work on the back-end clusters. Um, so we have, I think, well, nearly 20 back-end resources plugged into Epic at the moment. So that's a combination of the cloud partners, so AWS and Oracle, as well as the um, some of the academic supercomputers in the UK. Um, and on that, we install a range of applications that we have demand for, and customers can then submit directly onto those clusters via a, a fairly simple submission in, uh, interface. So, I mean, you're working with kind of a lot of different compute providers, providing a, like a sort of buffer layer between me, the end user, and the, uh, the this compute provider. How well do you think that those providers understand what 
CFD users, for example, need in terms of resources and functionality? Or are you layering that on top because it's 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 not easy? Um, a bit of both, really, depending on the providers. Obviously, the, the we work with some of the universities and their CPU computing teams tend to have a, a fairly good understanding of HPC applications and CFD makes up a chunk of their workloads anyway. Um, with the cloud providers, um, yeah, they don't they don't really know that much about HPC or CFD. Um, they have a, a set of more generic resources, um, and then we kind of pick and choose which ones we think are good for whichever application we're running through Epic. So we kind of add in that HPC and CFD knowledge on top of the resources provided by the cloud providers. Kind of on the flip side of that, how well do you think the CFD users understand what benefits they can derive from from running remotely in the cloud as i mentioned earlier i'm sure they grok understand the logical arguments but do they just want to replicate what they've got locally in the cloud even if that perhaps isn't taking best advantage normally we kind of find that it's access to this to a to a a larger resource than they've got internally so it's normally adding a capability they haven't got Um, so they might have a small cluster internally and then suddenly a peak demand that requires a larger cluster uh, and they don't want to wait. And so they'll start looking at other options. Uh, and obviously Epic presents a set of these options for them. Um, so it's kind of access to a, a larger pool of resources. The ability to get their cases running you know, immediately without queuing is also quite a, a big driver for them. So I think they understand that these kind of systems offer, offer a larger pool of resources and a potentially a faster turnaround. Um, and then we just try and make it as easy as possible for them. So it's not a it's not an onerous task for them just to give it a go. And you know, once they've done it a few times, they tend to see see the benefit in it. Are you starting to see users that only run on remote platforms that don't have local hardware? Generally, there's some kind of internal resource with most of our customers. It can be quite limited. It might just be a you know an engineering desktop. But the, our typical kind of workflow for, for our users is that they test their jobs internally on a, a small resource until they're sure it will run, and then they run it at scale through Epic. Uh, we mentioned earlier that things change sort of scarily fast. Are you seeing different objections, maybe for want of a better word, that, that people are coming to when they, they're approaching the cloud, um, using more resource in the cloud? Previously, you heard a lot about security. Is that still a hot-button issue? Yep, security is always always a hot topic. Um, so yeah, that's obviously that's that's matured quite a lot over the last few years, and it's more kind of the cloud um, security controls are understood more by the IT teams, which has been quite useful. Um, obviously, it's always probably one of the first discussions we have with them is security and requirements around data control. Um, the other kind of issue that comes up quite a lot is the kind of the cost management aspects. Um, so obviously if you've got an internal CFD team that's used to using an internal resource and suddenly you give them access to a whole variety of resources on the cloud, you want to make sure that they're not going to blow your budget by running up tens of thousands of calls of yeah, CFD usage. So that's something that's quite quite key to customers as well. Can they be sure that they're not going to get a surprise bill each month? In terms of users, both for Epic and for ZCFD, are you seeing people coming to this new or have they for for example in epic have people been out and tried to run their stuff on aws on their own or is this their gateway to the cloud um a mixture really some have tried with aws um and we just tried to really make it pain-free for them and i think that's where we where we see the value of epic so yeah you could go to aws or another provider or one of the supercomputers directly but we've done that already so why don't you have a look at us first and see if it fits your use case 
Yeah, absolutely. Just to circle back to ZCFD, again, are they companies with existing CFD workflows, sort of established CFD workflows, and they're looking to to get a performance boost, or are these newcomers to CFD? And it tends it tends to be uh, people with existing existing workflows um, who yeah need need to either run at scale or need to run to run um, or trying to shift let's say from doing sort of uh, RANS type simulations to to LES, which requires obviously a, a lot more compute and the scale of the problem goes up as well. Um, so the ability to scale up um, is something which is driving their their the, the requirement to look at to look at ZCFD. So that tends to be the first, the the the, uh, the the first point from a, from a requirements point of view, um, and as 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 the the whole industry is actually very conservative anyway, so our, our ability sort of to to immediately jump in with uh, totally totally new users um, is is always uh, is is always a challenge um, because the, uh, the 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 evidence that so if the first question we got is it will be uh, well how, how many how many test cases have you have you run these types of these types of tests can you give me some evidence of how well the uh, the what the accuracy is um, and so it, it takes it takes a while for somebody totally new to uh, to sort of bootstrap them into something like like ZCFD but that's that's something that that's going to come with time as uh, as we grow the customer base and. Uh, and, and grow the size of the uh, the validation cases that we have, uh, which backs up our case. I love that as a first question. Always is this accurate uh, as compared to what I could do a whole episode on that. So don't I'm not even I'm not going to take the bait and not going to get started. That'd on be that. a good topic, actually. No, no, no. Yeah, and the whole thing around uncertainty and actually, uh, yeah, and people using CFD codes as black boxes and all those kind of things. But yeah, no, that's that's for another day. <laughs> yeah, just as you've given a, a sort of outline of the the two main offerings, it, it almost sounds like two different companies. What are the synergies between the, the two products? Do they do they feed into each other? To one develop the other? I suppose it's quite quite deliberately quite deliberately separate because um, one one's providing sort of generic access to resource, which is effectively application agnostic, um, and and really just trying to meet that they, the, the demand in the world of computational engineering to to more resource. Um, and yeah, and ZCFD is is, is one hopefully. Um, if, if we're successful of, of, of many computational engineering codes that we will uh, effectively re-engineer to, to make use of the, uh, to make use of the new, new hardware. Um, but yeah, no, they're quite, quite, quite deliberately, uh, they're, they're quite deliberately separate. Uh, in some sense, Epic provides a way for you to run ZCFD. Um, but if that's not part of your, your current workflow, then, uh, Please use it for uh, for all the other applications and, and integrations. Actually, that that, that, that Mike's spoken about. Um, but yeah, ZCFD is is uh, is essentially standalone. Will run on Epic, but you can also run it on your on your desktop. Uh, you can run it on your own cluster. Um, it's 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 not limited by Epic in that sense. You've got an interesting alternative to a free trial for ZCFD. I mean, you can explain it, but it's something along the lines of on a single machine, I can use it as much as I like. Is that right? Yeah, it's on a on a on a on a, sing, on a single core uh, or a single device, as I'd like to say. So it's either a, a single CPU or a. So even my phone's got more than one core. <laughs> well, it will it'll run on it'll run on a, sing, a, a single device. So it, the, by by device here, we mean a single socket. So you might have many. You have, might have multiple cores on that socket. Yeah. 
um, and it quite happily leverage that. So essentially, what it's not doing, it's not using, uh, it's not, it's not using MPI. So it's not going to partition your job and run it over over multiple over multiple partitions. It'll run a single partition uh, on a, on a single device. Yeah, and that's a self serve. You can go go to the web, go to zcfd.zenotech.com, and uh, it will. Uh, you can you can request a license. It will get emailed to you, and uh, that will. Uh, that allow you to to run, but yeah, well, we're very keen as people make use of that that facility to to engage, I suppose, and find out their their their, their requirements in terms of code development, algorithms, missing features um, to, to to further meet their their needs, uh, and especially to to help them scale up. So that's not ZCFD light. That, that's the whole thing, but uh, sort of hardware limited. Yeah, it's the whole thing. Yeah. And also, I, I meant to point out that uh, also free for academic use. Is that right? It is. Yes, it's free for academic use um, in terms of uh, if, if there's any sort of real sort of large scale training required to get uh, to get a, a group of uh, a large group of people up and going on it, then that's something uh, we're willing to have a, a discussion about. But yeah, no, again, academics can. Uh, can apply to, to to use the code as part of their teaching and training and research purposes. It's been fascinating talking to you guys. I really like the kind of the vision and what's been what's been going on and how you've got to this point. Feel free to dodge the question, but I'm really interested in what you think is next for Zenotech, Zenotech. I keep getting it wrong. I suppose this is an interesting. I'll, I'll David will probably add to this as well. The uh, the hot topic at the moment, which is all over the IT world, is obviously the world of AI and machine learning. And it's something that um, that from a CFD world, it's very much been focused, I suppose, in the world of, of design, uh, design optimization, design space exploration, those kind of those those kind of subject areas. But I think the uh, the the world of of actually modeling modeling physics and the the complexity of some of the cases that we're or ranges of cases that we're having to to run. Um, is that that whole area or the developments, the acceleration developments in the world of machine learning, is going to be something that we uh, we very much look forward to uh, to exploiting and enhancing the uh, sort of the the engineering simulation process uh, using some of those those new tools and algorithms. That sounds a little bit like CFD engineers should be worried. <laughs> well, I suspect just yeah, just to add to that, and exactly, I was, that's exactly the direction I would have taken as well. Is that um, I think there's a there's a nice synergy actually between the higher fidelity CFD simulations and the kind of statistics that do underpin AI and machine learning, uh, and the availability of richer sources of experimental and other data. So actually, the combination of those things, I think, ought to drive us to make better use of higher fidelity simulation tools, which is good news for CFD. But maybe not so good news for the guys pressing the buttons. Oh, I think good good news for them as well. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think because the value of a high fidelity simulation can only be realised if you can quantify the benefit against another data source, um, and I think that's the trend that the world is taking at the moment. So, uh, and underpinned by a lot of the investment that's going in in the adjacent exploitation routes for AI and machine learning. So we're now coming up with uh, what used to be called statisticians, and we now call them data scientists, um, who can quantify the benefits of really good CFD. Oh. Excellent. As I said earlier, absolutely fascinating listening to you guys talk about this. Although I was half expecting blockchain to get mentioned, but it didn't. So that's good because I'd have been out of my depth. For somebody who's been listening to this and is interested in um, ZCFD or, or taking Epic for a spin or something like that, what, what should they do next? Well, they should do two things. One is they should uh, download uh, ZCFD 
uh, and give it a spin. Uh, there are some test cases on the website, and they can use the input deck for those uh, straight away. Uh, and if they want to run those um, at scale, uh, then they should log on to Epic and uh, and do the same thing there. Yeah, there's um, there's free credits when you sign up to Epic. So um, yeah, any new user gets some credits to submit some test jobs. Oh, cool. So it's fairly frictionless to get started, at least to give it a spin. Absolutely. I want to thank you guys, all three of you, for your time. I think this is the first time there's been four people on an interview. Um, so, and, and it went off okay. That's excellent. If any of the listeners wanted to contact you guys directly, would LinkedIn be a good place to go? Uh, yes, that's fine. We've also got a contact us tab on our webpage, xenotech.com. The links are in the show notes. You can find those. I'm sure you're very clever guys or girls. Thanks again, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and tell us all about it. Cool. Thanks, Rob. Bye. 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 Thank you.